In Luke chapter 8, verse 11, amen. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And we've been taking some time to go through this thing concerning the seed. Uh, we started it, uh, I don't know, maybe last Sunday or Sunday before. And, um, you know, we realized that the things that I need to minister, I couldn't hold it to just a Sunday. So we actually ministered on it Wednesday. And I'll probably do it again this Wednesday as well. So I encourage you to just come to church and you'll hear everything. But this is a seed. This is an avocado seed, actually. And so we've said these few things. The first thing I want to say is this. The seed is the potential of something hidden within. You know, the seed is not to stay this way. It's actually to release what's on the inside. Okay? And so seed is the potential for harvest. All right? And so we learned this. If you have no seed, then you are guaranteed there will be no harvest. If there's no seed, you are guaranteed there'll be no harvest. All right? If you have seed, this does not guarantee that there will be a harvest, although there's potential. So again, just because you possess a seed doesn't mean you're getting the harvest. All right? And we've seen in the parable of the sower that seed can be sown into a person's heart. But basically, what that means is if they hear something and they say, you know, I'm not going to try to search that out. Uh, I don't want to hear that. Uh, this is really in connection to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I believe it's verse 18, where it says, don't quench the spirit. Well, the word quench literally means to blow out. So the spirit has to actually illuminate something before you can blow it out. So something actually has to be revealed before you can go, I'm not doing that. All right? Now, you're accountable to what came on in the light, even though you blew it out. Amen? And a lot of people, you know, when it gets around the things of God, God is speaking to them. He's revealing. He's illuminating something in their, in their walk with him or in their walk or in their need to walk with him. And people are just blowing it out. Like, well, if I don't know it, then I can't be held accountable for it. Well, the once it's revealed, you're accountable. All right. But the Bible tells us in Matthew 13 with this parable of the sower that if, a, if the word of the kingdom is sown into a person's heart and they don't have understanding, the enemy will come and immediately snatch it out. Which means you had a seed that you let the devil take from you. And you allow it because you re refuse to gain understanding of something that was uh, made illuminated in your life. You're like, oh, I'm not going to deal with that. Now, how do we know this? Because the Word of God cannot enter by way of the mind. The Word is, is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Are you with me? And the Word became flesh. We know the Word, His, his man name, or uh, when He's clothed in the flesh, is Jesus. But the Word of God is spirit. And so when the word of God penetrates us, it always penetrates our spirit because it's not naturally appraised. It must be spiritually discerned. Now, that means then God's going to reveal something. Now, once revelation hits, that doesn't mean you know it yet. Can I say that? I mean, that's probably the biggest problem is that somebody's like, oh, yeah, well, I see that. But just because you see it don't mean you got it. Just because you see it doesn't mean you got it. I've seen a lot of things I don't have. Right? I've seen a lot of things I don't have. I've seen these, you know, nice Jeeps, you know, it's got this truck bed on the back of it, you know, all jacked up, nice. I'm like, I see that, but I don't have it. Right? 
I may be illuminated. That is the vehicle for me. When I leave this truck, I'm going to that truck. I mean, I'm going to have to get custom made because they don't have it on a lot. You know, they don't make the truck, the Jeep with beds anymore. But that's okay. You can get them converted. It can happen. So in my spirit, <laughs> not, not my spirit, in my mind, you understand. But just because it's a reveal doesn't mean you possess it. You have to start searching it out. And so when God reveals something, then all of a sudden you need to go. Uh, Dr. Miles Monroe said he was fasting and praying, uh, I think like 15 days, you know, seeking the Lord about some things. And the Lord spoke one word to him, said kingdom. And it set him on a course the rest of his life. One word. He got revelation. But what, what does that even mean? So he began to seek it out. Uh, uh, Reverend Randy Clay, back in 2007, I believe it was, the Lord spoke to him when he was still in Sand Springs. He said, you're not kingdom-minded enough. Are you with me? And so he did like most teachers do, or most people, a lot of times when they go into Scripture, you hear something. So you go and you look at it in subject matter. And so he went and preached a few messages on the kingdom. But he'll tell you to his own, uh, you know, his own personal testimony, I didn't get it. I preached about two, three messages and I thought I had something when I realized I had nothing. That there was still so much. Amen. Which means the minute a seed comes and it's revealed, you've got to take the responsibility to say, what else is there? What else is there? What else is there? What else is there? Why? Because there's life in the seed. Okay? So, seed then, when it moves into its first process, okay, uh, the first process, seed is to be placed uh, into an area where what's in it is to come out and we see a conversion, which means the seed actually dies. The seed no longer keeps seed form. In essence, it lets go of the seed and allows what's inside to show up, which looks different than what it was, and that is a plant. All right? So I can have my usher bring me my avocado tree. That's going to be awesome. I want to see my avocado tree. I want you to see what this looks like once it breaks out. Just so happened someone in church is growing an avocado tree. God is good to me. Amen. And here it is. Isn't that awesome? What's on the inside of this is that. And again, we have learned that this can grow to 70 feet tall. That's pretty amazing. But notice, what comes out on the outside so that everyone can see another work still happening in the unseen. You just can see it because it's in a glass bottle today. Look at all these um, roots in there, man. I mean, it's driving down, right? It's pulling on the, the source, this water to help cause this to continue to grow and in its season five to seven years from now this tree can start producing avocado fruit and it could produce as much as 500 avocados off of one tree wow which means each avocado uh, fruit will contain within it seed and so we saw in God's original intent and on the third day of creation, say the third day. third day, it's still happening today. Yes. That word spoken on the third day of creation is still operating right now. Yes. He said, let every vegetation or tree, it would bear fruit after its own kind. The seed would come, bear fruit after its own kind with fruit bearing seed. God never designed seedless fruit. Man does that. Because man wants a form of godliness without the seed of God. Are you with me? That's what religion is. 
Religion is this appearance of delicious fruit. It seems to taste, but the reality is they can't reproduce. It's actually sterile. Once it's consumed, there's no reproduction. Amen. Are you with me? So God desired that there would be fruit with seed in it. Amen. And if we will allow the fruit of God to manifest, which we know there are fruits of God. Is there not fruits? All you got to do is read Galatians chapter 5. The fruits of the Spirit are. Amen. So we should bear fruit. Say bear fruit. So the goal of seed is not to have seed. The goal of seed is to have harvest. And harvest. So the plant is the process for harvest. So now the seed is the potential for harvest. Now that it's been able to allow what's on the inside to come out, now we start to see the plant. Now the plant is the process for harvest. This isn't the end result. What we want is for this plant to produce seed bearing fruit. That is the, the um, purpose for harvest. The purpose for harvest is to have fruit bearing seed. Okay. So why would we be wanting people to be born again to leave planet earth? This is why Jesus did not call us to convert people, but he called people to discipleship. Go and make disciples, meaning go get them in the kingdom where they can produce fruit bearing seed while they're in the earth. Amen. Where we can have the same testimony as uh, Paul who said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Not, let's teach them an exit strategy that when they die, they'll go to heaven. And we become so heaven uh, focused instead of bringing heaven to earth focus. All right, where the kingdom rules and reigns through us. So, you know... As I was ministering on Wednesday, before I came to minister, I remember, for, who, who was here Wednesday night? Okay. I came over here, got over to the steps, and the Lord spoke to me in my spirit. All right? Let me tell you something. The Holy Ghost is always moving in these services. The problem is sometimes, you know, we want to pick and choose what type of Holy Ghost we want to see. Whether it's tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophetic word, laying on of hands and seeing miracles take place, whatever. You understand, we, we want to hear God. Because you know what to change your life? Change your life is not so much when God touches you as much as when he reveals something to you that then you can take hold of and never turn away from it. It was so powerful in that one moment that I had to stop and say, should I preach that now? Knowing I had no preparation for it in the context of, I didn't study this today, but you just gave me something. Now, I will trust the Holy Ghost. I'm kind of that way, you understand? If the Lord wants me to say something, I may have a whole course, but if God says, hey, boom, I'll move and just do that. And man, if it comes out in five minutes and that's all we got, then we can go home in five minutes. That usually never happens, but we understand this, okay? But the Lord said, no, save that for Sunday. So I had it, and then I went and started writing things down um, later on that evening, actually. Thursday, I got here, I mean, early Thursday, and had my whole message done on Thursday, which is crazy. Then I was in another particular meeting and the Lord dropped something in my spirit that I have always kind of wrestled with and he answered the question for me. 
And I'm going to reveal some things to you today if you have ears to hear. Amen. Hallelujah. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, okay? Genesis chapter 3. You know, I remember a minister by the name of Reggie Scarborough. He said this. He said one day he was preaching the word. Listen, we need to draw on spiritual gifts. Can I just say that? And, and first service, you need to do it a lot because too often you can get in the habit of, you know, well, this service will be done and then I have the rest of my day. When we really need to pull on the anointing and let whatever expression God wants, okay? Sometimes, you understand, you know, he was preaching the word and all he did is basically preach the word. And he kind of went home a little deflated, so to speak. You know, he's like, Lord, I really want you to move. He said, well, did you preach the word today? He said, yeah, Lord, I did. He said, well, then I moved. He said, now, he said, now let me tell you something. Sometimes I'll just move by my spirit. He said, then other times I'll move by my word. He said, most of the time it's a little bit of both. But whether I move by the spirit or by the word, it's me moving. Are you with me? And so we need to be passionate to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Let me just say it this way. You will not come to Anchor Faith Church earnestly desiring spiritual gifts unless you actually make a conscious choice to think on that verse, speak out that verse, and have an expectation of that verse. That verse does not just happen because it's in the Bible. Because you know what else is in the Bible? That God desires that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But not everybody repents. Just because it's in the Word doesn't mean it's going to happen. You actually have to believe it. So you've got to stir yourself up to draw on the anointing and say, we earnestly desire spiritual gifts to be in operation so that the, the, all the expression that the Holy Ghost would want in Jesus' church would manifest. Amen? Okay. First, Genesis 3.15 says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Who's talking here? God the Father. This is the context after Adam fell from dominion. He's gone to Adam. He says, where are you? In essence, not that I can't find you because you're hiding. What he's doing is, is he's saying uh, at this point, listen, the position you were in, you're no longer in. Are you with me? Okay. And so Adam says, well, it's that woman you gave me. So basically he said, I blame you, God, for giving me that woman. That's what he did. You know, she gave me the fruit and I ate. So he goes to the woman and says, what did you do? She tells the truth. She says, I was deceived by the serpent. So he passes her by and goes to the serpent. Now he's having a conversation with the serpent who's really not a snake as much as it is the enemy. It's, the, it's, it's, it's Satan, the devil, who's been cast out of the realm of heaven because he tried to exalt his throne above the Most High. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Are you with me? Okay. And so he casts him out. He's come to the earth. And he sees Adam and Eve and says, man, they look like God because he only has one desire. And that is that God would bow down and worship him. And so he gets his offspring. To bow down and worship him. And that's exactly what took place when Adam eats the fruit. He gave his dominion, his rulership of planet earth over to the devil. devil the devil communicates this very clearly to Jesus in, in Luke's gospel. When, uh, he was, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he took him up to a high pinnacle and showed him all the domains in a moment of time. Or all the kingdoms, not religions. In a moment of time, I said, all these domains, this dominion, I'll give to you for they've been handed over to me. Well, where did he get them from? He got them from Adam. So now the Lord's talking to this snake, this, the, the devil, the one who now possesses, possesses authority at the time 
and is considered the God of this world. Now, not the earth, but the way the, the, the systems operate on planet earth. Okay? He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your what? And her. Notice this is not plural. This is not a plural statement. Between your seed and her seed, he will bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, who are we talking about coming? Everybody knows this is Jesus. Are you with me? Turn over to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his... Is that a plural? And again, literally, by unction of the Holy Ghost, Paul writes, he does not say to antecedes as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. So now he's just going to let you know who that seed is. So Galatians 3.16 lets us know the seed that comes from God in, Galatians, in Genesis 3.15. That seed is Christ. Now let's talk about this seed. Um, um, in Psalms 112 verse 2 says it this way. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. That seed is Jesus. Okay. So, let's look at a couple of things here. Ooh, this is good stuff. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I need to give you some scripture today. I know that you can endure the reading of the word because it's all about context because we're going to release some powerful things for you today that will change your life. 1 John 3, 1 says this. See how great, because this is context. I could just go to a scripture, but I want context, all right? 1 John 3, 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. That, he would, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it, is not, and it has not appeared as yet what it will be. We know that when it appears, we will be like him, because, he, uh, because we will see him just as he is. And... Everyone who has this hope fixed on, on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Yes. Notice verse 3, and everyone who has this hope. Yeah. What's the hope? The hope that we are called children of God. Yes. What does that person do? They, they who fix their hope on that, on him purifies himself yes. just as he is pure. So... When we get in Christ, there's still a renewing of the mind process that has to take place with us. We have a work that we have to do in Christ now. Okay? Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Verse 4. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is? And in him there is? And in him there is? Verse 6. No one who abides. Say abides. abides. Turn to your neighbor and say abide. abide. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. This is a powerful statement. So John is telling them, listen, people are going to say something. But it's deception. 
They're going to speak about something as if it's true, but the reality is it's not. Let your little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is just as he, Jesus Christ, is righteous. So he's given us a disclaimer. This is how it looks. And if it doesn't look this way, know this. So little children, let no one deceive you. Okay, if you practice those who practice um, righteousness are righteous because he's righteous. Then he goes on in verse eight. The one who practices what? Now, notice there's a word called practice. Practice means that this is what you're doing. Okay, and so if someone says I have I'm right with God, you know, but yet their whole lifestyle is contrary to God. Then you have to say, listen, you can't deceive me that you're right with God. Come on now. I mean, many people will sit around and say, hey, look, you know, I asked God to come into my heart. Man, don't be judging me. I'm not. I'm a fruit inspector. We're fruit inspectors. Okay. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of Man appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. This is what gets me a new person in Christ. Why would they ever be tempted to want to practice a sinful lifestyle again when the most powerful thing in them has destroyed that work? I mean, they are the most, they are the furthest from excuse. They are the furthest from excuse because actual power to conquer sin is personally resident on the inside of their skin suit. Okay? Verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin. Because his what? Because his what? Not plural, but his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin. Say, I can't do it. You know what? When you're tempted to sin, you ought to just say, it is written, I can't do it. Right? Instead of taking the religious mantra, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, I can't help it. We all blow it, make mistakes. You know, you know, we're all just on this earth. We're going to sin. But thank God Jesus saved me. No. You know what? He, I mean, I'm, I abide in his seed. So when sin shows up, I say, I can't do it. Not that I can't do it, but he who's in me has empowered me to not do it. Amen. He cannot sin because he is born of God. Verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Ooh, there's that love word again. Amen. So again, unless you're walking in agape, you are not. Nothing in the kingdom is producing in your life. Now, you can produce seedless fruit which is a form of godliness that you give God credit for, but it actually isn't a seed that bore the fruit. You clone the fruit based upon scripture you know. Okay. Verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now let's look at this seed. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 14. 1 Peter 1. I'm going to teach today, okay? I'm going to teach today. Not a whole lot of shouting going to go on unless you shout where you're at. Because this word will literally 
set you free. 1 Peter 1, 14 to 25. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were, which were yours in your ignorance. Right? Now, I lived away, but I was ignorant. All right? So I don't go back to, I don't allow myself to be transformed back to that. Okay? But, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behavior. And how much of your behavior? Come on, how much? Come on, how much? That means you can't keep a particular behavior and do 90% behavior good with God, but 10%, you know, and like that's a good deal for God, right? God, you only ask 10% for me on the tithe, and I get to keep 90, so I figured I'd do the same thing with you. I give you 90 of me, but 10's mine. You understand. All your behavior. Because it is written, verse 16, you shall be holy as I am holy. So God's not going to ask you to be something you cannot be. And holy means a life separated unto God. That's what that means. That means you're separated from things that are not God's word. You're separated from the things that would be unrighteous or practicing things that are contrary to God's word. You keep yourself separated to do God's word. Okay, say I do God's word. If you address as father the one who judges who impartially judges according to each one's work, and there's a work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Isn't that interesting? If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear. That's the fear of the Lord. You know what will cause a man or a woman of God not to fall back into practicing unrighteousness or into behaviors that are not of God is called the fear of the Lord. And if you don't exhibit the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is this reverential fear or awe where you're like, how in the world could I displease my dad to do that? would so displease dad that doesn't mean dad doesn't love me because god loves us but yet there's a requirement to get god's pleasure without faith it's impossible to please him which means sometimes in faith you're just believing that you're not going to succumb to the temptation it is written i'm not going to do what the temptation is trying to tell me to do and i'm gonna believe god stand on that word and then ultimately that word will manifest in your life and you won't give to the temptation. And so you're living a life by faith because you're acting in, in every area of your life in accordance to God's word. Okay? And so while you're on the earth, he says, now listen, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. So there's a way that while we're on the earth, God wants us to live. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed <coughs> with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since we have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls 
for a sincere love of the brethren fervently love uh, one another from the heart now again we've had this love context we have this love context all right then we get verse 23 for you have been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and enduring what word of God now the seed is the word of God but you have not been born a, 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 again of a seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and enduring word of God verse 24 for all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flowers of grass the grass withers the flower fades but the word of the Lord endures forever and this is the word which was preached to you so what word was preached to him the seed that's incorruptible right. imperishable period amen? amen hallelujah so Christ died Christ is the seed Christ died and Christ is the seed and when the seed rose he rose victorious and his reigning made him a vine I said his raising made him a vine his raising made him a vine So the seed went into the ground and stayed there three days and on the third day popped up a vine. Amen. And that vine drew its source from the incorruptible seed. Now why is this important to you? I'm going to tell you why it's important. Because we're going to run over to John chapter 15. We are not receiving new seed. Anytime you come to church, the seed that you're receiving is not a new seed. It's not like you're getting new seed in your heart. You're discovering a seed already sown. Because the vine is alive. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser look at this verse 2 every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it so that it will bear more now before we finish reading this let's go over to Romans chapter 11 Romans chapter 11 because you got to ask the question how did you get in the vine in Romans chapter 11, verse 16, it says, if the, if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. Is the root holy? Yes. yes, because if you see this avocado tree right now, or plant, the roots came from the seed. And so the seed is incorruptible. That's Christ. And when it died, a root system came out. And the roots are holy. 
which means the roots are feeding the supply of the vine. Hallelujah. And if the root is holy, then the branches are holy. Well, let's find out who these branches are. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were what? Grafted in among them. We were lost, dead in our transgression and sin. We were having no life, nothing. We were on a, 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 another tree producing bad fruit all the time. And man, we had a harvest of production. But then we saw another tree. And because of the hardness of the natural branches that got broken off, it made room for us. And so we long to be on that tree, and so we were broken off that one, and we are this wild olive that gets engrafted into the true vine. Where now we are drawing from a holy root. I said we're drawing from a holy root. This is why when you get born again, you don't look different on the outside, nor does your mind immediately totally different, but the source by which your branch draws from now is holy. And you're sucking the life out of that. You're sucking life. You won't suck the life out, but you will suck life out of that root. And that root is moving through the vine that gets to your branch that's engrafted in. Now here's the thing. With being engrafted, which is the seed sown onto the root and sown onto the thorns, is the minute you engraft a branch to a tree, it's got to take. It's, it's hooked up. You and them are joined together. You're one. And it's all about you taking it. Okay. Let's go on. Let's see this. It said, but if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive were engrafted in among them and become partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root. But the root supports you. You will say then branches were broken off so that I may be engrafted in. Quite rightly. They were broken off for their what? Why are they broken off? Why are branches 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 broken off? But you stand by your faith. But uh, do not be conceited. But what? Now we're back to this verse we just read over in, in Peter about while we're in the earth, we need to do this in fear. I'm thankful I've been engrafted. And I don't take it lightly. Now look what he goes on and says, verse 21. But if God did not spare the natural branches, will he not spare you either? That's a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. Yeah. 
This is a mess with some theology. Just because Jesus has poured out his blood and did what we couldn't do doesn't mean that we are to disdain it and not like we can do anything we want to do because we're in now. And Jesus is okay with it. And that there'll never be a consequence for it. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 22, Behold then the kindness and severity of God. Notice you can be kind and severe at the same time. To those who fail, severity, but to, but to you, God's kindness. If, if, conditional statement, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be what? Cut off. Cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be engrafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Yes. Wow. wow, is right. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to the nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want... You, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And you and I are walking into the kingdom of God because of their hardness, because of their unbelief. It has made room for us to get into the kingdom of God. That Jesus is not coming back just for the covenant of Israel alone, but he's come back for the whole world. And since he's come back to the whole world, and I didn't deserve to be in his kingdom, and I wasn't even a part of his covenant nation, and that all nations would bow to his covenant nation, but he made a way in for me. And man, he engrafted me in. That when I got born again, I didn't get seed in me. I got engrafted into a seed already dead, risen. I got brought into a plant, into a vine that's already thriving. I don't even go through a seed process with God. I get to connect to a holy root that's already producing. Look at the advantage we have from coming out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We get to get into a vine already producing life. Love flows through that vein. Love is flowing through that vein. Love is flowing through that vein. And you're in that source immediately. So let's go back to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. Or 1, starting verse 1, we're going to go further than 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, <clears throat> he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. So the lesson learned in verse 2 is you're going to get cut, period. Cutting happens. That means in your season that you produce fruit. Wow, look at God. I believe God. I was in faith. I did all this. Look at the fruit. I walked in joy in that in that area. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Joy manifest. I, I, I walked in the love of God. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Love. I walked in long-suffering in that. That's the fruit of the Spirit. I walked in kind. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. You got in a situation that kindness didn't seem like it should be there. You should be mad, aggravated, angry about it. But no, 
You produced the fruit of kindness. And then it bear, and you were like, yes. And people ate that during that time, that season of faith, man, whatever that ultimate deal was, right? But again, fruit doesn't stay on the branch. It is to be picked and consumed. Which means you will then, in due season, if you do not grow weary, do not grow weary, for in due season you will reap a harvest. Why are you reaping harvest? Not because you've got to wait for the seed. The seed's done. You're a plant that gets to produce in each season. And maybe you're like an avocado. Because in one season, it's like massive fruit. The next season, not so much, but it's fruit nonetheless. Yet, the reality is God actually wants you, by Scripture, to always produce more each season, not actually less. Less fruit is an indicator something ain't happened right during the season between the last harvest and the next harvest. And it isn't a root problem. So we see God desires that you would, he would prune you so that you would bear more fruit because as believers, you are to go from faith to faith, glory to glory. So each season should be more fruit in your life.